Welcome to 8020 with Pareto Health. I'm Andrew Cavanaugh. And I'm Andrew Clayton. Hello, and welcome to the season's finale of 8020 with Pareto Health. I'm Andrew Cavanaugh, joined as always, and by always, I mean sometimes by Andrew Clayton. Today, we're going to flip the script a little bit. Today, instead of Clayton and I interviewing somebody, which is what we normally do, we're going to pass the baton. So in our studio at Pareto Health World Headquarters today, uh, we're joined by John Naughton and J.J. Purdy. And for those of you listening at home or mom um, that don't know J.J. and John, J.J. runs uh, Garnet Captive Services and Elevate Insurance Services, our two associated or affiliated uh, P&C companies, and John uh, is a principal at Keystone Risk Partners, which manages the various Pareto captives. Uh, and both of them are actually owners of Pareto Captive as well. So welcome to the show. We are going to have them interview us. So this is me officially passing the baton uh, to John and JJ. Treat us the way that we treat our guests, with, which is with utmost respect. I don't feel of welcome, respect. so that's, that's about right. That's about as excited as I can sound in general or on a podcast. So take it away. Very good. Well, I appreciate uh, the two of you having us having us here. Um, it's taken long enough to get us in the in the room, and as we sit in the twenty third floor, kind of world headquarters. Um, I thought we were it was, originally it was global. Now it's uh, world. Now it's world. Universal headquarters. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's put it this way: as as we sit here today in this small conference room, part of the global headquarters, it's larger than the office space that the three, and then including the count of the four of you occupied. I guess the first year that you were a part of Pareto. So maybe that's a good place to get started is um, to spend a couple of minutes and um, share a little bit about, you know, how'd you find your way into the employee benefit group captive space and then what those uh, early days of Pareto um, actually look like. So, you know, I don't think anyone really wants to hear a full history, but the quick history um, is that both Clayton and I were involved in PNC group captives. Historically, client came to us and said, hey, you helped us with work comp. Uh, can't you help to help us with employee benefits as well? And I think our initial response was, was no, you know, it's illegal. We'll all go to jail. You can't combine benefits and things like that. Uh, client called back and said, try a little harder, seven letter word, uh, spend 150 grand on comp and spend a million bucks on benefits. And so that was really the impetus was like many things in our space, client driven uh, and reacting to a need. Yeah. I think I would just add to that, that we, um, have always enjoyed a healthy debate about what our environment should do better. Uh, and so our environment in that you know, instance is uh, the the insurance space, the health insurance space. And if you look at it then, uh, and hopefully we've collectively gained ground, not Pareto, but the industry as a whole, it was a giant world of have and have nots, those that are self-insured and those that are fully insured. Um, and so we recognize that there was an opportunity to bring some of that have into the world of fully insured employers, letting them access self-insurance, but bringing the property and casualty group buying dynamic to them. And in terms of early days in the office for a while, it was Clayton McKenna and I, um, and everyone did a little bit of everything. Um, well, Clayton did very little of everything. Um, uh, I'm, I'm an idea man, John. McKenna I don't like it. to get my hands too dirty. McKenna uh, did a whole lot of everything. Hence the reason that we're here today. So it's, uh, it's obviously changed. You know, the the company in many ways is very different today. And at the same time, I think the company is exactly the same. Uh, still still the same mission trying to help the mid-sized employer with what is probably their biggest uh, problem, which uh, is health insurance, healthcare. We stick to our core values and our culture, um, but obviously bigger. So I remember those days while I was there and the, the server didn't have as much action. There weren't any many inner office emails because you guys would just yell back and forth and, and it would bother me. Uh, but also there weren't very many written files. This is just 10 years ago. I can't believe it was that long ago um, and or really that short of amount of time. And so I'm wondering now, I don't have a good feel. How big are you now size-wise, number of employees, number of clients? Do, do you monitor like all your investments with this oh, yeah. level of diligence and I not trust know how you big that they much. are? Yep, I trust 10 you years later, much. I'm going to ask him my first question. <laughs> well, and, and I'll jump on that in just a minute in that there, the first P&L that was done on Pareto was the end of year 2011. And I remember about a year ago, for some reason, finding that P&L, and there were two things that jumped out. Number one, there was no P. No revenue. There, there, was, right. there, was, there was no P in that P&L. The second thing Lunch is that- cost. Back to my question, can you give us, one of you guys give an idea of size? Sure, so I'll, I'll jump in on that. Um, we, last week, passed 2,000 members, which was a seminal moment for us, pretty pretty exciting. There was a build up throughout the year knowing that we get there. Um, and just for 
uh, mom, as a reminder, uh, the member is an employer who has decided to become a, a client and, and really a member of Pareto's community. Um, so the 2000s was, was a, a big number for us. It's, it's, it was a really cool event for the team to be able to get their, their head around. I, um, you, can't, you can't talk about it without it sounding a little bit braggadocious, um, but the reality is you, you – It suits you. Well, thank you. I, I'm well-practiced. But it's it's a great reflection on the employers, their commitment, the way that they've laid um, the groundwork for for others to follow, uh, as well as our consultant partners. Um, and there's a ton of incredible work done by our team here to enable and, and allow that to happen. Um, so it was a really, really awesome moment. Uh, we, we are a hard grinding company. And we attract those that want to work hard and want to work in a collaborative team environment. Uh, but every once in a while, you want to stop and smell the roses so you have a little reflection point on it. How has uh, COVID impacted the business? I think we could be here all day talking about what COVID's done to the business. Um, you know, I remember uh, a town hall probably in February of 2020 uh, where somebody raised their hand, said, if you're listening, said, uh, remember that. And raised his hand and said, well, what happens if this, you know, this COVID thing gets serious? And we scoffed at it. We're like, oh, don't be serious. Uh, this thing's not going anywhere. Two worse. weeks, we'll be back. Right. No We've got yeah. laptops, all the servers are in the cloud. We'll be back in two weeks. Uh, and about three weeks later, the world shut down. And I'd say the first instinct was panic, like it was for everybody. Putting, And I'm talking putting everything aside on the personal level, and just talking about work, is how many employers will go bankrupt, how many employees are going to lose jobs. And we modeled out all sorts of crazy downside scenarios. And obviously, that's not what we all know happened, where employee accounts stayed high, people held on to their teams, uh, certain businesses thrived. Um, and we all adapted, you know, much more effectively than we thought we would. I think if you had asked me that question a year or two years ago, I would have said very, very little impact. Um, sales were a record year that year, et cetera. If I look at it now, I'd say the one thing um, that stands out is that we hired and trained a lot of people via Zoom, and that's hard to do. And because of that, our our hit ratio on new team members was lower than it would have been. I think some of the people didn't get the training they needed uh, because you just couldn't join in person. And so I think some swings and misses on, on team members uh, that just weren't right for us and we weren't right for them, and that's how it has to work, right? If it's not a win-win, it cannot work. And so I think that's one of the things that we got a little bit wrong. Yeah, I'll, I'll put aside the the, the the human, the medical, that impact of and just focus on the business for a second. Um, Hang on a sec. You're going to get you're going to put aside the emotional stuff and focus on facts. Uh, sure. Okay. Yes. Don't yeah, make yeah. it mad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The team responded incredibly well. And, and Kavanaugh brought it up earlier, but we went from office, office, office all the time to being virtual immediately. Um, and that transition happened way better than if we said, okay, we're going to transition to virtual over the next nine months or over the next year and a half. Um, the fact that we needed to do it, the, the team was was incredible. And it goes back to, I think Kavanaugh hit it on earlier about finding the right people. People are passionate about what they do. They want to show up and they want to be interested. They want to be committed. Um, but there were lots of you know tears and all that other stuff no, well, anyway, I'll just say that uh, uh, I was not responsible for tucking the kids in that night. Maybe an easy way to summarize it. So along those lines, you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we want to break down the amount of work that Clayton does, is, is this yeah. the right time to yeah. talk about what share he pulls or not? Mm. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, Maybe we do that in a rapid fire <laughs> round. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we have a couple, couple things. Uh, interaction with your members and your brokers is pretty important. And, you know, COVID probably put a hamper on that for, for a little while, but maybe you could reflect on your favorite interaction with, with a captive member or a broker. Uh, you guys do meetings every year at one of those meetings. I think that's the, um, not I think, my, my favorite part of what we do um, is interacting with the employers and seeing some of the impact that we've had a part um, in having. Um, and so if I boil it down to one interaction, I would say the board meetings. So we had our captive board meetings last month in Nashville, first part of October. And the way our boards are structured is the majority of the board members are the captive members. Um, and I love it. It's a small room. We typically invite former board members as well as board members in training. So you've got, you know, 15, 20 people. Um, and the first part of it is really granular. We walk, you know, line by line through 
the income statement where any money was spent. We then go to the balance sheet. We spend some time talking about investments. And you think about investments, I think in total the captives have two, $250 million um, of assets. So these are no longer small companies that we're talking about. Um, we then have the, the outside actuary jump on the line and walk through the board through um, every part of the analysis that came up with the reserves that are on the balance sheet. This is your favorite interaction? It is. Okay. And then we're getting to it. Um, you didn't ask me what I thought their favorite interaction was. This is my favorite interaction. And I'll tell you why in just a second. And then we uh, have the outside auditor um, jump online because these aren't cells. These are individual companies with you know, real financials, real bank accounts, and that sort of thing. And the reason that I love it is that once in a while we hear- By the way, they've always been real companies with real bank accounts and stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm implying there's some others that aren't. Um, that aren't real companies. They're sort of subdivisions. Um, they don't have their own financial statements. They don't have their own actuary. And that's why I'm pointing it out is that it's so granular um, because we hear in the marketplace once in a while, like, oh, you're not transparent. And it's so silly that if anyone could sit in on these meetings and listen, it is so detailed, so granular. I pity the fool that has Sorry, to ladies. That. He's spoken for. He is not available. <laughs> Uh, that's actually funny out of Clayton. So moving past that, then the next part of the, the board meeting is just where are we going? And that's where all the big ideas start flowing, petri dishes around cost containment. What should we do? Um, and so I think that's my my favorite part of all the interactions is that it's a fairly small group talking about the meaty stuff. And I, I just wish we could have a, you know, a camera in there and let everyone see what happens in those meetings because it's, um, it's a testament to the, the, the companies that they have helped create. So I got Three relatively quick ones for you, Whoa. JJ. Um, first was the the first members meeting, which you referenced was um, going on 10 years ago. And just to have people actually show up, be invested, be there. And we've always, we've always hoped that we're on the right side of the fight. Uh, but the fact that they were so committed to, um, to moving forward as a community was overwhelming. The second is... The, the latest member meetings are 400, 500, 600 people, and they're incredibly difficult to run. Our team does a wonderful job of, of setting them up and working on logistics. Um, but we also then hear from folks, members that have been around for a couple of years, and they'll say, wow, this is really incredible. And, and to hear it from their eyes about the growth and the, and the strategy and, and the commitment and the, and the consistency in, in what we're trying to do, uh, and the performance is great. And the last one is so um Kavanaugh is uh a, a dynamic personality up on stage um and he loves to take the uh airwaves but allowing some of the other team members and see their growth in presenting dominating the stage taking control um and and seeing them shine has been absolutely spectacular um, so it's a, it's a great source of, of, you know, pride and enthusiasm for us. So, um, thinking about outside of, uh, of, of Pareto here and externally, what's the thing that you're most proud of over the past year? External, not Pareto focused, not internally focused. So could be a consultant, could be some other third party value that they've provided. So again, um, catching me spur of the moment, but I think, and so it might be, you know, what I've heard in the last, uh, the last couple of months, we've had lots of our consultant partners analyze the savings of their members. Uh, and there are a bunch of come to mind, but one of my favorite ones is, uh, is one of our partners who did analysis and they have a lot of clients. I don't know the numbers, 25, 50 different employers, um, in the various captives. And over the last seven years, those employers costs have been flat. And so flat is a word you don't hear, and seven years flat is insane. Um, and you go past that, and they've seen, you know, what, I, what we, you know, being geeky here a little bit, but positive externalities where the workers' compensation rates are going down because they've put a good benefit plan in place that more employees then opt into, and that means that the employees aren't submitting what are really health care claims under work comp. And so hearing about that, um, it's, it's staggering and, and absolutely one of my favorite external things that we, uh, that we've seen occur, um, recently. All right. Besides your demons, Clayton, what keeps you <laughs> up at night? <laughs> is this going to be a marriage counseling session or is this, uh, is this that might hit the cutting room floor? Um, so it's, it's a, it's a great question. And I don't know that it's any, 
one thing. If I'd put if I had to put one answer out there or one thing, it would be: Are we moving the team forward at the pace that they're ready to move, and and are we making enough opportunities for them to continue to advance? Um, outside of that, it's it's every every issue that comes up under the sun. There's not um, very few waking moments when it's not on our brain, and that's not a complaint at all. It's just a little bit of how we're wired, right? And and I think you need to be wired a little bit on the, uh, um, I don't want to say obsessive side of things, but uh, outside of that, it's, have, did we do this one account right? We have 2,000, but the next one is so important that I am so zonally focused on making sure we get that one right. Uh, did we get to the right spot from a, from a relationship standpoint? Did we push back and, and defend our principles correctly and conveying them accurately? Um, so all of those things go into every interaction, every day matters. Um, but at the end of the day, is it are we are we moving the ball forward in a way that we be proud of in the same way that we uh, that we that we wanted to start ten years ago? Anything from you, Kevin? I heard you talk about you know your clients during COVID, and you actually it sounded like you actually cared about. The I members care. of the cabinet. I care. That's my slogan. I care. Is that something that keeps you up at night? Caring. <laughs> Next. <laughs> um, I think the thing that keeps me awake at night um, is really to, um, I, I worry about, are we executing? Um, and that we're not, we're lucky in the position that we're in, that we don't need to solve cancer. We don't need to put a person on the moon. What we need to do is execute uh, because we have this fantastic opportunity, fantastic group of consultants and captive members. And so just are we executing at the pace and with the, you know, the, to the degree that which we should. It's it's great to outrun the rest of the market, um, but are we running at the same pace that we expect ourselves to run? It's great to show some humility. <laughs> yeah. So we should talk about core values. You spent a lot of time talking about core values, what Pareto stands for. Why don't you spend a minute and walk through the four core values? Why don't you walk through them um, and then I'll walk through how we got them. Sure. Uh, so core values are- um, There's four. There are four of them. Let me- that's, well, If you thank, need to walk outside, they're thank, written thank, on the wall. These are important. Thankfully, they're all on, on one hand. Yes. Uh, see the field, get it done, get it done right. Uh, this is, is this a quiz? Am I doing okay so far? Two more. Fire in the belly and for the greater good. And I think they're, hopefully they're pretty self-explanatory. What's your favorite, Clayton? Mine is fire in the belly. All right. Let's, let's see the field. What, what are they? What, what do they, they, what they mean? mean? Yep. And, and, I'll, no, no, I'll, and I'll, I'll start to a certain extent. Like the, the fire in the belly though is if you, if you have that, and you're somehow have a moral compass that's pointed in the right direction, the others should be, a, should be attainable or should be uh, achievable. You want to walk through what they are real quickly? So seize the field is, um, you know, looking down the road, right? Not just looking at your feet. And, and all these things have multiple layers. And so just starting with the captive member, it's the employer who says, I want to go here and recognizes that they have to put a plan together to get to there. Um, for the company, it's seeing down the road. For it's, it's, I, it's, I call it seeing around the corner before you get there, right? You've been around the corner before. Know and understand what's going to happen. Find the belly is easy, right? The, we all want to do more. And it's, it's growing individually. It's making sure that Pareto continues to, to do more. And it's a big difference between wanting more and doing more. Wanting is easy. Roll up the sleeves. Do like that it. is a core value of everybody in this company. Anyone that comes into it, our captain members, roll up the sleeves, pick up a shovel, and do work. Um, there's no room in our world for people that just talk. Yep. And get it done, get it done right. That's quantity and quality. Uh, do a lot of work and do it really well. Uh, we want people to know that when something comes from Pareto, it's of the highest quality. And so I'll just very, very quickly tell the story of how we came up with those. And obviously, you guys know this. Uh, we have four, by the way. You hit on three. Yeah, greater good. Oh, greater good. I missed that one. Mm, Shocking. That's the one I forgot. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you did that for the greater good. And this is this is true, is that anyone does anything. And I think that that is anyone who joins our firm recognizes that everybody here is willing to help um, everyone grow. 
And then for the greater good is obviously the, the undercurrent of a captive, right? It's a bunch of employers coming together as captive members for the greater good. In some ways, it defines our company, we, we have despite a, the fact that I forgot it. In terms of how we came up with them, um, and I'm telling you guys this, but JJ, you were obviously there, is that JJ- You were there. I was there. As an outsider, um, JJ agreed to MC the session, and he told us tomorrow, come to the management meeting, and I want you to tell me the names of three people that if you were to start a company, you want by your side. Um, and the only rule was it has to be somebody that somebody else in the rooms know and somebody else knows. It can't be, you know, my Aunt Caroline. Um, not that Aunt Caroline wouldn't be fantastic at helping us run a company. But so the next day, Jay sits up at the whiteboard. He says, Kavanaugh, you go first. Who are the three people or who's one person that you would want um, by your side when you started a company? And, and weird, weird that it wasn't Clayton. Um, yeah, for the, he was four. He was fourth in the list. Um, and so, and, you know, I, I'm sure the first word out of my mouth was probably McKenna. And so you wrote McKenna's name on the board. And the next was, so why McKenna? I'm like, well, she's smart as crap. She works her a tail off trying to, trying to do all this without swearing here, uh, which is not normally how I tell this story. Uh, super smart, willing to do anything, willing to help anybody um, learn. And so those, and so JG wrote those five attributes below McKenna's name. And we went around the room doing that until everybody in the room, and there were probably five or six of us on the management team at the point. Um, so 18 names, each of the 18 names have, let's call it five attributes underneath them. Um, that would be 90-ish, uh, something like that, some number, some big number. And then JJ erased the names of the individuals uh, because the people don't matter. And what mattered is what we cared about. And so then we clustered those, all those different things because there was tons of commonality and just sort of you know, distill those down into four things. And we did a smart thing, which was we didn't instantly run out and sort of say, oh, here are the 15, I mean, 10 commandments. Um, that's an age check. Um, and and uh, and we still, and instead we held those internally for about three months to make sure we got them right. And we tried to look at the company every day through the lens of those four core values. And at the end of that three months, we agreed that we got them right and sort of uh, brought those into the company, so. Long-winded story. And I don't mean to accidentally compliment JJ, but he did a great job that day. He came up with that process on his own, which was the most impressive part. The yeah. fifth core value is never compliment somebody on the team into their face. Right. Uh, that, that's yours. Um, and if you're going to make fun of somebody, always do it to their face. Absolutely. Yeah. Doesn't matter if somebody gets hurt, just as long as it's funny. Yeah. Um, I, the core values in their you know, beauty, blah, blah, blah. The, the simplicity of them are spectacular in the sense that we get lots of questions, uh, decisions, things that we need to go through. Um, and you can just reference the core value and say, is this consistent? Is it, does it match our core values? I also think that, I mean, we, we, and we can move on in a second, but the core values, you get business decisions at a time. Should we accept this BOR? Should we do X? Should we do Y? And my, my, instant reaction is let's apply the core values to this decision. And it is amazing how often it ends up pointing you in the right direction. All right. This one's going to be challenging. It's going to require a little bit of humility. And so this should be real interesting. What is the thing that you did at Pareto without a lot of thought that has turned out to be brilliant? I'd like to think that we don't do a lot of things with zero thought. Um, but the quick thing that comes to mind is that we thought, okay, we're growing. Um, we struggle to hire people from, you know, Cigna and Aetna. And when we do, it's sort of C-plus players. Let's let's build our own farm team. Um, let's go to the well. Um, and so two years ago, we started our associate program where we hired uh, 20 uh, college graduates. And we didn't even know what they would do um, in the company and brought them into the company, tried to teach them the basics of insurance, um, basics of captives and all of that. And then we repeated it last year. So over the last two years, we have hired roughly 40 uh, people graduating from college, and it has been stellar. It's been fantastic. That is brilliant because did you know what you wanted to do when you graduated from college? I wanted to own an NBA team. It hasn't worked out very well. No, I had no idea what I wanted to do, right? It's perfect. No one knows. Um, I would say no one, but a lot of people don't know. And it's been invigorating having the young crew, and I call them kids and stuff like that, which I shouldn't. Uh, but it's been fantastic having them around. And when we started the program, the thought was they would spend almost a year in training. And three months in, this is and this is a cool thing, is that the departments were like, we need people right now. 
and we have all these people that are really talented. We need right now, let's get them into underwriting. Let's get them into account management. And watching that team grow has been fantastic. So that, I'd say that's my number one thing that we did. I wouldn't, again, not on a whim, but it wasn't hyper-analyzed. That has been fantastic. All right, so next question. Not, not expecting to predict the future of healthcare, because you will. So just I'll focus here narrowly. So what, what do you expect to see over the next two to three years in the employee benefit captive space? We're trying to spread the word without being too you know, flame the flame the fire, right, or, or blow wind on the fire to make it too um, too accelerated. But the reality is, from a employer standpoint, you're going to deal with inflation. You're likely going to be hit with the recession. Um, on top of that, you have medical inflation, which isn't just standard medical inflation. You have uh, increasing. You know, RX costs, you have medical care that's been deferred that's now coming to fruition. You had all of those, um, and you have a post-PPP environment. Uh, and PPP was a huge impact to a lot of medium-sized privately held businesses uh, where they were able to, to weather the storm. Um, and some of the pain that they would have felt from typical fully insured renewals, they didn't feel as much. So all of that's coming to a head at a unique time. We're seeing the impact absolutely for January 1st of 2023, 20, uh, but over 23, 24 and beyond, that's going to continue to hit. Um, we've been a, a big force within the self-insured space for employers that are obviously looking for better long-term stability protection against the increasing cost and, and volatility. Um, but I expect fully insured transition to be a huge, huge, huge opportunity and growth avenue for us as we go forward. So uh, I don't disagree with whatever it was that he just said. Um, but these are the things that I would point out is that the demand for captives will grow exponentially, right? You've got gene therapy, you've got increasing claims, all the stuff that Clayton just said. So demand for captives will go up. There will be a new group captive or group captive manager every day. Um, they're growing on trees these days. Everyone's like, oh, we're a group captive manager. Oh, we manage PNC captives. Let's be benefit managers. So that'll grow. Um, as part of that, they're going to fail. Um, and they're going to see some of these captives that are literally one claim away um, from failing. They get a hemophilia, they get a dialysis claim, um, and they're underwater. They have you know 20 members. They have $10 million in premium, completely or wholly insufficient to withstand volatility. And the flip side of that is that Pareto will do well. And it's almost with, with not regret, uh, but guilt that I say that. And so we have and will continue to merge, acquire um, other captives. We will buy captive managers where people have come to the realization that they all started these things and they have the 10 million bucks of premium. They're like, oh no, you know, one hemophiliac and everyone's rates go up by 20% per year. Um, and so there'll be consolidation. Um, so that's what I would predict is massive growth, new entrants, um, some failures and a bunch of people merging and people like Pareto acquiring other entities. Growth in the industry is great. Like we want other people in the space. We welcome, if it's referred to as competition, great, Let, let's go. We're, we're confident in who we are and what we do. Um, our, our, to his point though, our fear is that they stumble and they can't get out of the gate and they can't get to critical mass. Uh, we don't want that for employers or consultants. Well, on the PNC side, you know, ten to fifteen million dollars in premium is scale, and the problem is trying to correlate that over to a, an employee benefit group captive, where it's where it simply is just not enough. Exactly. I heard Grumpy Cat, so let's clarify. I mean, your nickname is uh, Grumpy Cat Cap. You're looking at Clayton. Or are you looking at me? I'm looking at you. How'd you get it? So here's the deal. It's a little inside baseball, but at Pareto, everybody has a nickname. And the nickname in general is the polar opposite of your personality. And so I'm Grumpy Cat because I'm this like effusive, outgoing person. And so what's the opposite of that? It's Grumpy Cat. So that's how I got my name. Clayton, you seem to be... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to roll yeah, right We're just going to roll right, roll right, right past through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you seem to be all over LinkedIn these days. Some of the posts actually seem reasonably intelligent. I'm just wondering who writes those for you. <laughs> First of all... Great question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It takes a it takes a village to raise a Clayton. I love that. The, I love that the question isn't did you write it? It's just who wrote it. Right. Yeah. Only way to ask the question. Um, it's been no. You're, uh, not, you're not sure. 
No, no, no. So our uh, Kate, our marketing team, have uh, been been assisting with some of my phrasing. I'll put it that way. I I, I have not been. This is going to shock you. A historic, uh, huge LinkedIn fan until about a year and a half ago, um, and the push by um, Kate Thurston, our marketing team, has been spectacular. And I've I've actually really really enjoyed the environment, the community. And for people that I used to judge as uh, your your comments, JJ, earlier about, you know, let's exercise some humility and things like that. Um, I've gotten to know a bunch of people that might have demonstrated a little bit of hubris on LinkedIn are, are really good, genuine folks that are pushing our collective narrative forward. Um, so love to see fun. your source interest history on there. Yeah. Well, that's neither here nor there. So I think one of the things that's safe to say, I've known Clayton, uh, worked together, been friends for 25 years, something crazy like that now? Uh, colleagues. Colleagues. Yep. Um, and if it's more than three paragraphs long, he neither read it nor wrote it. Like that is 100% so, guaranteed. So what I'd like to offer here is that I'm a great editor. <laughs> Original content, not my thing. But editing, spectacular. So next question, Cav, you missed this year's spring meetings due to an injury, um, an athletic <laughs> encounter. Care to elaborate? The injury, the recovery? So the injury was that I fell skiing. I was on a triple black diamond. <laughs> um, I tore my rotator cuff skiing, and, uh, and so I had surgery the day of our first members meeting, and I missed it. And this sad, it was actually, and it was my birthday. And so on my birthday, I had surgery, drugged up. And then I got all the videos from everybody in San Diego. And I don't know if there was literally a sadder moment in my life where I was missing that. Because as much as I have the reputation as being Grumpy Cat, I love being around our captain members. I love being around our consultants. Um, I just don't like talking to anybody. Um, and so missing that was that was, that was was tough on me. And that was even tougher is that Flat Kavanaugh um, went to all the meetings and Flat Kavanaugh. Dominated. Um, dominated. Super popular. Right. Uh, so we missed him, um, and it was uh, it was uh, different. Certainly, absolutely not having him not having him there. Uh, I would I would say part of the question earlier though was one of the one of the great things was having everyone else um, elevate, step up, uh, and and from the members' perspective, well, they missed him personally because of all the obvious personal emotional connections. Personality, right? We yeah, connect, right? Yeah. Right. Um, it was, it, they were great meetings uh, and we're looking forward to the triumphant return. Yep. A lot of folks on stage. Clayton, another one for you. Arsenal or Tottenham? Coys. Uh, don't even bring that. Come on. That's not, that's not even a question. We're simply just emphasizing. I, I understood. Understood. Yes. Yep. Next question. So you know, uh, let's go back to that. You like, yeah. you like fifth place teams? <laughs> I like hardworking, hard-scrabble. Arsenal. Arsenal. Please. Where they're, they're, they outworked you guys so much. Their fanship. Whose fanship? He likes to watch Champions League. Yes. Plans for the World Cup, will you guys have it aired in the, in the office on, uh, on weekdays? Absolutely. So the, the, the team are big sports fans, and so we don't yet know what we'll do. Uh, but World Cup, you know, comes every once every 16 years. And um, it's actually every four, JJ. I'm just kidding. Well, the U.S. doesn't make it that often. Well, the U.S. is in this one. They have a great team. They need to play Aronson, though. Let's go Philly Pride. Aronson needs to start. So, yeah, we'll do something. We'll have competitions. We'll have pulls. We'll do something. But uh, um, I think that's one of the things that I love about our team is that, you know, we say work hard and play hard, but the play hard gets over-exaggerated. It's not really play hard that much, but, but you know, a game on in the background, having a pool around that, you know, we're, we're all people. We all have stuff outside of work, and the fact that some of those things can overlap, it'd be great. So really looking for the World Cup and, uh, and what we can do in the office to celebrate it and, and watch it. So soccer is one of them, and you touched on a couple others as we, as we uh, kind of talked for a bit, but anything else that you do specifically from a team standpoint, camaraderie, you played a little bit of a of – you know, ping pong before we came in, that sort of thing. Just was that camaraderie? That. Is that what we call that? You may call it a, a loss, but is anything else that uh, you guys do? <laughs> <laughs> it's generous of you to, to, to count that as a loss. First mover's advantage. I like that. <laughs> exactly. yes. Get it out on record. I've got the mic. The team does lots of things with one another, but the thing that comes to mind the most 
is that that, that our crew, there are 16 different fantasy football leagues. Um, people are staying here playing ping pong. And there's just lots of things that happen organically within the team. And I think that's cool is that like work doesn't have to be your friends. It really doesn't. Uh, but if you can really like the people you work with, it makes it that much more enjoyable. I put something on LinkedIn the other day uh, that three people saw, which, which really rings true to me, which is I love what I do. I love with whom I do it. Um, and I love why we do it. And the with whom is really, really important. And I think our team um, really enjoys one another outside of, I don't think they like Clayton that much, but, but outside of that, it's great. So when we started this thing, Ten years ago, I was twenty-five 11. years old. 11. Eleven years old. Yeah, eleven years. I was twenty-five years old, and so I got invited to a lot more of the uh, softball leagues and, and those type of things. Now, ten years later, being forty-eight, I'm not quite invited to. Forty-eight? As many. Aren't you like Back fifty-five? Oh, God, don't. Yeah, there's a liver in there that's somewhere. It's screaming to get out. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, uh, no, but to, to see all the all the camaraderie, the connectivity. It's in some ways, we try to stay in the wallpaper and stay out of it, right? To let everyone else enjoy each other. A lot of good energy around here. We walked around a little bit before the podcast. And nice of you to spend time walking around your investment. Appreciate that. Yep, just checking up on it. Uh, Once in 11 years. Yeah. Seeing what's in the fridge, mostly. It was, I was a little disappointed. Uh, any good practical jokes that you can talk about over the years? So yes, with a team that loves one another, there come practical jokes. So two come to mind. And the reality is I'm going to blow one of these tonight because one of the people in the room doesn't know about the practical joke. My head's on a swivel. <laughs> it should be. The first is that in the uh, FMC office, um, we have one of those fancy automated coffee machines where you press buttons and it does stuff. Um, and so one of our crew put a speaker underneath it. And then they would sit in, the, in what we call the bullpen and when someone would come up, they had an iPhone connected to it, and they would talk underneath it. And someone would press, like, oh, I want a latte. Do you really want a latte? And there were several people that thought the coffee machine was actually speaking to them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the only mistake we made is not having all of this on video. It was absolutely, I don't know if it's punked, or which also dates me, or something even older than that. But fantastic. This is the Seinfeld episode mm -hmm. where Kramer was the movie hotline where yes. he would tell people what they wanted to hear. Why don't you just <laughs> tell me what you want? <laughs> Rochelle, Rochelle. <laughs> 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 the other um, is that there's a long jump contest in the office. And so the way it works is there is a line on the floor. Uh, sorry, broad jump, not long jump, broad jump. And you jump as far as you can. And wherever you land, you put a sticky on the wall next to you. And so there's a cluster of stickies. And Clayton, who, despite what he just said, he really, he really perceives himself to be an incredible athlete, despite the fact that he was both a catcher and a punter. And he... He is always like two feet short of the cluster, let alone winning. And what he didn't know for the longest time, and I don't know if I'm revealing this right now or not, is that they always moved the line on him so that he was never close to getting to where everyone else was. And he would get so frustrated that he was not near anybody else. He was the worst broad jumper in the company. Talk about externalities. This has caused a lot of issues in Clayton's Oh, I feel bad for Michelle. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you my therapy bill. This is right. ridiculous. I feel bad for Michelle and my trainer bill. They right. even tell me talking about explosive tactics. Honestly, did you I, know? I need, did you know this tonight or not? I. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so you guys have been here for a while. You've seen it from the beginning. Um, what are a couple of moments that jump out at you? What are some things that you say, hey, neat, interesting, or also what are some things that we've stumbled with along the way? I mean, having having watched your progression through office moves, I think that that's, to me, the cadence in terms of the, the growth of Pareto and your customer base and your consultant base. It's really, I can, I can look at that in terms of the moves that you've made. Um, again, starting with three of you in two offices, Sierra Center, first floor, Sierra Center upstairs, FMC. Um, that's how I track the progression. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's been amazing to watch and be, you know, a very small part of. Yeah, I'll get serious finally for once and say that it's been, you guys actually really care about what you do. And right from the beginning, you could hear Clayton yelling across the hallway, um, when something didn't go wrong or didn't go right. And um, that type of passion, I think, has 
and caring about what you're doing and belief in what you're doing uh, has come through all the, you know, the whole way, the last 11 years, I don't think it's diminished. Um, and so that's something that I, you know, I'm impressed by and, uh, you know, it makes me believe. I don't need to check up on my investment, Clayton. I believe in you because you believe so heartily in, in what you're doing. Uh, it makes me believe too. Thanks, buddy. You also should thank your parents for giving you a voice for radio. You got a nice voice. I, I know you guys all well enough to know that you grew up with siblings and teams and all the stuff that you care about tremendously. And um, at some point, then you leave college, you leave that environment, and you're wondering, how do after I... After seven years, you leave After college. seven years. But you're wondering, how do I replace that? Or how do I find that? Um, and being able to replace that incredible drive and, and desire to, to be a part of something... Um, it's it's wonderful to find that. Uh, and so I appreciate that I found that uh, in what we do and you guys. I thought you were going to say something nice about Kavanaugh right there. I, I tried to. So the thing that you're most proud of, we talked about external and Kavanaugh talked about that for six or seven minutes, words that Incredibly I, eloquently. I, I, I kind of zoned out for a while. Um, how about internally with your team, things you're most proud of? Clayton and I will both probably get emotional. Typical for him, not typical for me. And I think about the internal things, and it's uh, it's our team. Uh, when we talk about stakeholders, you've got shareholders, you have uh, captive members, you have consultants, you have our team. Um, and I think it's the team that uh, that hits me the most. And so I look at people that have developed um, inside the company. And so uh, Nick Milligan, somebody in the industry that we know, um, shout out to him was in the office a couple weeks ago and we were talking and I said to him, you know, I don't think McKenna gets the appreciation that McKenna deserves in that there is literally no one else in the industry that has overseen an organic growth from zero to what is going to approach a billion dollars in stop loss premium while knock on wood, because we always knock on wood and talk about results with underwriting profitability. Nobody else can put that on the resume. And I don't mean that that McKenna has done it by herself. The the stop loss carriers um, have have played a role. Um, her entire team has played a role. But literally nobody else as an executive can say billion dollars, organic growth, profitable, stop loss. And it's just, it's unsung in the industry. And so the team in general is what I would say internally. She'd also knife you for bringing it up, which is spectacular. Good odds I, I lose the kidneys. <laughs> right. I think that sums it up. I, and I, I can talk about others, but uh, I think that sums it up in terms of what we're thankful for. I, I've, I've said it um, repeatedly, but you take this team. We're, we're very, very lucky to be able to be in the space that we are and hopefully having an impact and hopefully improving what the employers, the consultants, and ultimately the employees go through. Um, but this team... You can apply them to it doesn't matter the industry, and it's you know domination nation. Um, you start there, and, and everything else is easy. Two more cases that I think are really important. One is Sarah. Um, so Sarah joined us as an intern, um, and then became maybe our first account manager, then the manager of account managers, and Sarah Crownshaw, fantastic. And the other is P. Raj. So P. Raj is in some ways my favorite story because it it, it highlights what's wrong with corporate America. Uh, is that P. Raj was he's not what's wrong with corporate America. <laughs> I, uh, I will clarify. Um, well, he may be, but we don't know that yet. We're going to find out. Um, but P., uh, Patrick is an example where he was referred to us by somebody else. I said, "Oh, we can't hire him because we have all these roles. Why we can't hire this person? But we think he's a fantastic person. You should meet with him." And we met with them. And again, the company this time has like eight people in it, nine people. It's tiny. And we met with them. We're like, yes, he is fantastic. And we had absolutely no idea what he might do for us, but we need to hire him. Um, and then I won't go into the, 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 you know, the, the, the whole chapter and verse about Patrick, but it's gone from no idea what you're going to do tomorrow to now manages all the sales associates and couldn't be, you couldn't find somebody that embodies our core values more than Patrick and Sarah and McKenna. As you guys have kids and all those type of things, um, you always lean like if something terrible happens. Um, That's not how most people think. 
No, no, but you you have the Guardian and the and the all that stuff, um, and all the people that Kavanaugh referenced are at the top of the list. If some terrible stuff happens, who can I trust? And there's a long, long list that kind of like we entrusted the community. There's a long list of people here that you'd say everything's going to be okay at the end of the day. Can we set a goal that we can make Clayton cry before this podcast is over? I am. I am I think fighting, we're close. I'm fighting we're it close. back. I'm fighting it back. Clayton, take that. And, and you were close earlier. So uh, that's just that's that's natural. That's Our dust. That's dust. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all. Oh yeah. So yeah, we want to talk about you guys. It's great living in the past, um, but and Clayton's search history on LinkedIn isn't a test of that. But how about the last during the last year? What uh, what are you most proud of internally with the team? You guys have grown a lot, and you like you talked about during COVID, you were doing virtual interviews. Now you're back in person. What what are you most proud of for the team in the last year? So, you know, I'd go back to uh, it's it's going to weave together several things that we said. Obviously, lots of metrics that we've achieved this year, um, but I go back to the growth of the team. Um, that people are playing a really, really big and important role today that they weren't playing a year ago. And honestly, we didn't expect them to play. And so I won't name names because we've named a bunch of names. But at some point, someone said to me, like, you know, so-and-so is doing a fantastic job. Um, And it's opened up all these opportunities. And so I think it's, it's, you know, I know it's, I know it's redundant, but it's really important. It's that people are growing within the organization and therefore the organization is growing. We are in a people business. And I couldn't be more proud of the new new team members that are driving us forward. What does Pareto look like in the next two to three years? And that you've gotten to this point um, primarily, certainly in the early years with Philadelphia-based talent. But as the company grows and you continue to look for best-in-class hires, what does the company look like in terms of footprint over the next two to three years? So we have, and I'll get the stats uh, directionally correct, 150, 160 team members today, 100 of whom are in Philadelphia. So we already have some percentage, 40% that aren't in Philly, some big number. Uh, We have an office in Salt Lake City. We have a lot of people distributed around the country. And so I think over time, that continues in that we are looking for a very unique type of, of team member. And you're not going to find all of those in Philly. So I think training of associates will remain in Philly. Um, Philly will remain our core. We're Philly through and through. Um, But you'll have team members all around the country, which will start to replicate um, where our clients are, where our consultants are. So I think it spreads throughout the country. Why did you start Pareto? I think the easy thing to say is that it was something that was necessary. And I think there's an element of truth to that, right? No... No insurance company, no insurance entity, no insurance policy has ever been created until there was a need. Take cyber as the example there, right? Cyber didn't, a cyber policy didn't exist 10 years ago. A need arises because there's all these things, right? So in some ways, we arose because of a need. Um, but, but that's like a general statement. I just said like, which I make fun of my daughter for saying all the time, but now she's, she's wearing off on me um, in a good way, Ellie. Um, but I think that the captive industry specifically has always been the innovative part of the industry. How do we solve things that no one else can solve? And they have solved lots of different things. And the captive industry applied themselves to employee benefits and said, we can solve this. And I think that's what it comes down to is that there is a need. There is the, I don't want to say intellect because that gives Clayton too much credit, um, but as you know, John, we first did this inside a big insurance company, and working inside a big insurance company isn't always ideal. And legal agreements prohibit me from saying anything more than that about working inside certain big insurance companies, but it needed to be entrepreneurial. It needed to have oxygen to let it grow, and, and that's why we started Pareto, is that employers needed it, couldn't happen in any other environment, and we were here and just happy to be a part of it. Our parents did a good job of giving us enough self-confidence. Um, and, and, and I'm half joking, but we thought we were right at the end of the day. That's that's why this started. So Kavanaugh's description is absolutely correct. Inside a big insurance company, you couldn't get air, couldn't get breath. We couldn't grow it to the, to the extent that we needed to. But at the end of the day, we thought we were on the right side of the fight. 
Um, and that was enough for us to say, you know, we'll, we'll take all the risk. We'll take all the opportunity to just put our foot in the ground and see if we can grow. I, I referenced the 10 year anniversary of our members meeting and seeing those folks in the room uh, and seeing, you know, a, a total of 40 people there, including consultants, including Pareto folks, including employers. It was, it was mind blowing for the fact that we actually might be right on this thing. It's not lost on us that Pareto's success, which is driven by our consultants and our captive members, is a direct result of where the world exists today. And that world is crappy for a mid-sized employer. And so there's some of this that is bittersweet, which is we exist, we excel because mid-sized employers don't have other options. We are that option. And I want to make sure that that we take a moment to pause to say that, you know, it's screwed up for employers and we are thrilled that we can be one of the solutions for them. But it's also an indictment of where the country is relative to health care and re- relative to health insurance. And so I just don't want that to be lost in anybody that we don't we're not we're not blind to that. Um, First member meeting was and it really was more we'll call it a prospect slash consultant meeting. Sheraton 2012, I believe. Thir- May 13. May of 13. There were. 40 people in the room. 95. Okay, 95. But it's like Woodstock. A thousand claimed they were there. But it was was truly an intimate group. Um, Two of you were up front uh, telling the story, sharing a vision. At that time, what was the ultimate goal of Pareto? You know, I don't know that in some ways the Pareto goal. One more year. (laughs) Cash flow positivity, right? (laughs) That was the goal. Pay the bills. Um. Uh, you know, we started the company with a basic premise that we could help the mid-sized employer, right? That's It's that simple on some levels. And so our goal was to do that. I don't, and people ask me all the time, like, what well, did you imagine 10 years later, Pareto would have a billion dollars in stop loss stream? If you had asked me 50-50 bet, would I bet a billion dollars? Not a chance, right? You would have taken the under on that. But if you had asked me, what do I dream about? then it would have been five billion, right? That's the way the world works. That's the way that's the way that entrepreneurs work, is that you're constantly reaching for something greater than what you have. We dreamed of big things. Um and and you know that hasn't changed. Like our dreams today are big. We want to help more and more employers reduce the cost of healthcare, reduce the volatility. So guys, how many captives do you have active? We have four benefit captives active today. So I feel like you guys take uh, have been taking a little credit for starting these the the captives. Are you the only ones involved in in the risk of that? No. And if we came across as if we have done all of this, then then shame on us. In that we took a risk to start Pareto, but that risk was really born by need by the employer. And so let's talk about who else took risks when we started the program. Um, we have a couple of founding members. So July 1st of 2012, uh, two members, Lokes and, and Manly Enterprises. Brian, I forget what your company was completely named, but close enough, that said, look, w- we don't know completely what you guys have in mind, but we know enough that we're, we're in it with you. And, um, and at the same time, consultants, right? We, we, we have not built this on our own, and I want to be crystal clear of that. So the founding captive members, the, the the consultants that said, look, there has to be a better way. Poppy Ball, what's up? Um, incredibly important to to getting this thing off the ground, which then led to the growth. So, yeah, we, we, I need to make sure that we're not coming across as having too much arrogance about what we've done. Now, I, I would just add to that that the members that joined early said, I'm a community of zero um, but I believe in what you're doing. Uh, they came out from different perspectives, the two. Lokes had been involved in a property and casualty captive for years uh, and had predictably great success. And Manly had not been involved, but looked at their escalating healthcare costs, uh, hated it, hated the process, hated the frustration, hated the game that was being applied to them, uh, and said, we need to do something different. Uh, and so... They both joined, and and kudos to the, both the consultant partners for 
their support and, and giving them a little nudge and say, it's going to be okay. I believe in these guys. Well, feel the dreams, build it and he will come type thing. And, and Clayton loves to tell the story of, of uh, Manly in particular, where, you know, we have a fish on the hook, so to speak, right? We think we might have a deal here. And we went to the meeting at Brian's, at Brian's operation. And we said, we're looking for employers that have slapped their hand on the table that said, you know, damn it. Uh, not to swear, but damn it, I'm tired of what I have. I want something different. And Brian looked at us and said, damn it, I've hit my hand on the table so many times my hand hurts. Give me something different. Um, and again, all that, that, that part of it is true, even if the words aren't true. Uh, but that's where Clayton tells the story, which is that I continue to talk for 20 more minutes about. <laughs> Belabor the point. No, but the, the important part of that is that that was employer number one or member number one. And we actually never got to his final terms. And he said, I'm in. I know my consultant. I know Bob. I know uh, that Bob speaks highly of you guys. I spent time with you. Um, and I know what you're about. And I know the challenge in front of us. My terms are going to be good enough. Let's go for it. I know this is flawed. And I believe in Bob. And I believe in you guys. Let's go. And so he took a huge risk. That probably and, 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 emboldened and, you guys a bit. It, oh. is, is that why Clayton thought he was over six foot? That, that was around the <laughs> five, same time. Five, I, five, I, I started that meeting at 5'9". I ended at 6'3". Yeah. But but you're absolutely right, uh, Jack Attack. Um, to be able to be in that meeting and see an employer say, I'm not, I, I, I don't need to know what the worst case scenario is because I know my, my best case is way better than anything else. And I also know my worst case is exactly where I am today. And that was incredible. Well, let's let's say that in a different way. Nothing that we have done has been Pareto only. Everything we have done has involved the captive members, our consultants, our stop loss carriers. Like we, we it's possible that we're the, the face on stage, but there are a whole group of people that have led to this success there are a lot of people that have been involved in the success of the captive members, which is why Pareto exists. It goes a little bit to why I think insurance isn't isn't an, an efficient market is because the buyer actually has more information than the seller. And it's not often in a market that that happens. Who's our prototypical employer? Um, I get asked the question often, which is, well, why won't people just fake X, Y, and Z in terms of cost containment? And it goes back to the structure, which is the people that join our program are pissed off with the the fully insured options. They're pissed off that they don't have data. They're pissed off they don't have control. And so they seek our program because they want control and they want data. And therefore, they're completely unlikely to want to sort of skate through and fake things. These are people that are real. When I think about our clients, they're real. Uh, they want to make change in their company and they want to be around other people that want the same. You use the term consultant. You never use the term broker. And, and it's a very conscious decision on our part to use the word consultant. And um, in, in some ways, we use it to acknowledge the people that we partner with. And, and we also use it to try to elevate some of the newer folks to our community. Uh, a broker to us is somebody that is really good at, at going out and, whether intended or not, um, working on behalf of the carrier. So getting quotes, uh, getting opportunities, uh, acting almost as a pawn for their proactive efforts. A consultant is somebody that says, stop, pause, let me work on your behalf, employer, as opposed to carrier, I am going to give you advice on what's best for you over the next three to five years. A broker does a great job of having their team develop a super fancy spreadsheet with lots of different colors, lots of different opportunities, and then can circle the bottom right-hand corner that has the cheapest opportunity. Um, and that's a very, obviously, simplistic and biased and and jaded and, and you know, callous view of it, but I, I would I would I would say that we bang our head against the wall. The biggest challenge we have in the industry is that we spend time trying to convert or trying to educate a broker. At the end of the day, the industry is getting better. There are more and more consultants. There are more and more people that are standing up doing the right things, understanding that their pathway forward 
is the success of their client, not the success of the carriers. To quote both Snoopy and Charles Dickens, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. That's the way that we think about insurance brokers, right? There are a huge number that are just plain out knuckleheads. All they do is build a spreadsheet. It's one year. What's price? That's all I can do. And they don't do anything different than their competition. And there's that small select group, and that's the group that we strive to work with, which are consultants. They're saying, okay, where are we going three and five years from now? What is the game plan to get there? Um, and I think that's really important to delineate between the two because brokers suck and consultants are fantastic. And so employers need consultants, and that's who we work with. That balance between actually providing multi-year stability is what the captive does. Brokers miss that point. Consultants get that point. And the crazy thing is the employers absolutely get that. If you ask an employer, what do you want? Do you want cheap four years in a row and then a complete kick in the teeth for year five? Or do you want something stable? What employer doesn't want stable? It's 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 almost ridiculous or embarrassing and the consultant that believes in themselves and adds value and isn't about price because everyone can get price. That's the stupid thing is that the brokerage industry, if they don't, if they don't stop where they're going, are going to drive themselves into being replaced by, you know, AI or a bot, whatever it is, because just getting a price, a cheap price and sticking on a spreadsheet and that that passing as as consulting advice is flawed. Whereas the consultant that looks and says, what are we doing three to five years? How do we make your employees happy? How do we make you happy? How do we get stability? We'll thrive. And that's who we try to partner with. Those consultants, they, they are the frontline visionaries. Uh, what have you done over time to, um, to arm those frontline consultants in their fight against traditional insurance brokers? Has that changed? I don't know that what we have given them has changed. What we've given them is the the only thing that the industry can give them, which is the ability to do something different, right? Every consultant, every broker has Blue Cross. They have all the fully insured carriers. And what we give them is something different. And we give them something that matters. And if you think about our clients, as I said earlier, they're the clients that have slapped their hands on the desk and said, damn it, we want something different. The consultants that we deal with are the same way. They're so frustrated with the, the sort of corner they've been backed into in spreadsheets. And all they want is the ability to do right by their clients and to actually offer value as opposed to a fancy spreadsheet. And so uh, that's why I think we have this simpatico relationship with our consultants is that it's a win-win. It's a win-win-win, right? It goes back to why we named the company that everybody's running. The client, the consultant, Pareto, is that everybody is better off. Consultants, they're, they're your frontline Pareto folks. Uh, and curious as to what you do to kind of arm them um, with uh, information, but also collectively how you make sure that they're part of a common community as well. We talk about our captives and the member-to-member -member experience. So the employers, until they join the captive, they don't really have a peer group. Um, and our consultants are the exact same way. And it's one of our favorite things to see is that we deal with, you know, a, a consultant that has two employees to the biggest national firms. Um, but within all of those organizations, the people that we work with are unique and we love bringing them together and we love seeing the camaraderie and the idea sharing that happens amongst that group. It's open, it's organic, um, and there's nothing better. So I won't sit here and say that we arm them with anything. We give them our, our captive product, which obviously we think is great. I think one of the coolest things they get is access to that community of their peers. And by peers, it's their true peers, people that give a damn about the employer. Um, and just like the captive, I think that's the best thing we can possibly do for the consultants. What's a typical employer? And has that changed over time? The, the typical employer has not changed. And by that, I mean that the number one thing we care about is the mentality of the employer. It is the employer where the CEO has slapped his or her hand on the desk and said, damn it, I want something different. I want control. I want data. And I'm not willing to, to, to give control over what is many cases my second biggest expense to big insurance companies. So that is our typical employer, and that hasn't changed. You look at then moving one step past that, every industry is now represented by the captive. And I don't care if it's 
you know, manufacturing, wholesale, distribution, nonprofit, pseudo-governmental entity. We have everything. Um, and then you look at employer size, it is probably, not probably, it has changed, where I think our average group was probably 120 employees when we started. And that's grown a little bit to about 170, but that's still that sort of 50 to 750 sweet spot where I know I want something better, but I can't quite get it on my own. That's that's our typical client. And when we underwrite, yes, we look at losses and expected claims and all of that stuff. But the number one thing is, what is the mentality of the employer? Do they want something better for their company and for their employees? I want to thank you guys for having us here. It's been great, um, mostly just to see Clayton. John, it's, Clayton, it's, Clayton it's, it's been a great 10 years. Let's make it another 10 years before you check in on your investment. It's been spectacular. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Pick up your parting gift on the way out. That was his chance at, at, at being serious. And uh, I, I echo what JJ just said. It's been a it's been a um, a joy to watch from afar what has been uh, what has been created. There were there were a couple of you at the starting line, but the race is still on, and um, and you've amassed quite a quite a group. And so we're excited to see where this thing uh, continues to go. Well, we we appreciate that. We're we're not. Um do or uh, in reality, we're not we're not worthy of of uh, the good fortune, and the good fortune starts absolutely with the team and the community. Um, so we're beyond lucky um, to be able to be here. I, I don't have much else to say besides that, but I, I want to thank you guys for being here. I want to thank you guys for being here from the start too. Um, you know, not every decision you make is an easy one when you think about investing and, and committing and and being uh, part of uh, part of, of something like this. Um, absolutely additive, and at the end of the day, um, you know, I'll go to bed tonight. Cry again. I will. I'll, I'll go to bed. I'll go. I'll go, I'll, 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 I'll go to bed tonight thinking, why me in a positive way? So thank you. Love you, buddy. You're okay. So, John and JJ, thank you for uh, for joining us today. Appreciate you taking over the reins of uh, of being the interviewer as opposed to the interviewee. And uh, it's it's I'd say that's not easy. But past your you know your willingness to do this today, we appreciate the fact that you guys are investors in Pareto. There are with any company you know high points and low points, and you guys have always been there through the low points to to encourage us. And that's what I think more than anything that I that I would thank you for. Uh, particularly early on, is that we needed, you know, at some levels convincing or or reinforcement or confidence that we were going down the right path. And you guys have always been there for us. Um, and and I appreciate that. And then JJ, I've got some other investments that if you're willing to do zero due diligence in, um, would, ha- would love to put you, would love to have you put some money into If Clayton so. cries about it, I'm in. Thanks for listening to today's episode of 8020 with Pareto Health. We love hearing from you. If you have a question or an episode suggestion, please drop us an email at 8020 at com. That's 8020 at com. Dive deeper into 8020 by visiting us at paretohealth.com slash podcast. Lastly, make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you don't miss an episode.